Samuel. So we can turn there and I'll tell you uh, what we're going to talk about what's going to go on with Mother's Day today. Um, in the Blue Bibles, I should have got the page number. I didn't get it ahead of time. So if somebody could help me out with the page number in the Blue Bible. Where we are in 1 Samuel. So that's the Old Testament. Right? It's past Genesis. Past Leviticus. Deuteronomy. 1 Samuel chapter 1. 190? Okay, nice. And hopefully, you don't have a white Bible because that's only the New Testament. So hopefully, uh, somebody didn't get a white Bible there. If you need a blue Bible, raise your hand. Somebody will get you on. We say page 190? Okay. All right. So, uh, the point of today, right? So, the point of Mother's Day is, uh, you know, we want to come as a church and we want to just, like, appreciate and say thank you, you know, to moms. Right? That's what we want to do. Get one good, solid day a year to where you can, like, put some value and say thank you to moms and appreciate them and lift them up and just, like, bless their socks off. There's at least one day dedicated to do that. So, that's what we want to do. Um, and it's supposed to be a great day of celebration, but it can also be like a painful day of regret you know, and loss because as far as parents go and moms and dads and the way the family is today, it's really a mixed bag. And so this could actually be a super painful day you know, for some people. Um, but our focus is to show appreciation and I think nevertheless like it's a good day to reflect it's a good day to reflect. Whether it's, you know, there's some pain associated there, I'd like to look at that and say, okay, you know, like what is that about and how can I maybe give it more of that over to God and, 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 you know, let Him handle that? Or, man, you know, I've been blessed, you know, with a mom that wasn't perfect, but, man, she tried her best, you know? So, um, so that's the point of today. There's an article that came out on Thursday. I think it was in the Washington Times. As far as what a mom is worth. If you had to put... I mean, moms are priceless, right? Moms are priceless. But if you had to put like a financial dollar sign on there for all the work that they do. So that's like, you know, the poopy diapers. And that's, uh, you know, doing the dishes. And, uh, you know, maybe helping out with the landscaping. And maybe being a psychologist. And being a teacher. Um, you know, doing all that stuff. You had to put a dollar sign, a money figure on there. Uh, this graphic came up in the Washington Times. Hopefully it'll pop up for us. Yeah, so if you can see it. It says, right, so here's all the things. Like in a circle, laundry operator, a CEO, a facilities manager, psychologist, a janitor, a van driver, a uh, daycare teacher, a cook, a housekeeper. If you had to break it all down, in a 40-hour week, but there also is about 54 hours of overtime, if you count a bunch of that. So there's a lot of pay in overtime there. It's about around $113,568. About $113,000. Right? And then you can see at the bottom there, um, historically, uh, what they've been worth. So it's uh, gone up uh, you know, a little bit. It's interesting how, of course, the hours are kind of hovering around the same. But... It's interesting, so I think that, you know, the government should just cut a check, don't you think, for moms and just be like, here you go, and, right, 113000 take it, and that still wouldn't cover it. Um, but moms, you know, are priceless, and uh, that gift of motherhood is uh, not something that every woman gets a chance, you know, to really enjoy. Um, you know, the woman who started, uh, who started Mother's Day, Anna Jarvis, we got a picture of her. Anna Jarvis, so this is the woman that is responsible um, for Mother's Day. So in 1907, in, uh, in West Virginia, 
she wanted to have a day, you know, to appreciate uh, her mom. And so she went to her, I think it was Episcopalian church. It started at church. Yes. And uh, she um, came with 500 uh, white carnations. And uh, she wanted to come, uh, give all the moms there uh, a carnation. And then she also encouraged everybody to write a letter to their mom. Because her big thing was that she didn't want uh, this to be a day really super commercialized. She wanted mom to get like quality time, uh, quality attention. In fact, uh, I got a couple of her quotes here. It says, her talking, Anna talking. I wanted it to be a day of sentiment, not profit. Um, she opposed the selling of flowers. She actually picked all those 500 carnations. Hopefully it was in her yard, you know, I don't know. Um, she opposed the selling of her flowers and also the use of greeting cards. She said, the greeting cards is a poor excuse for the letter you're too, ra- too lazy to write. So she's like a straight shooter. So that's why, you know, in your bulletin, there's a piece of paper there. And if you'd like to, it's completely your option. Um, if you wanted to fall in step and fall in line with the original vision of Mother's Day, you could write your mom, you know, a letter. If you wanted to, the paper is there. And the reason why I got a carnation, um, I couldn't get any white ones, but I got some colored ones. So that was nice. So it's not because I was a cheapskate, you didn't get roses, but I wanted to, like, stay in line, you know, with Mother's Day and, and get you guys carnations. And so... You know, that's where that's coming from. So Anna Jarvis, and it's kind of sad, actually, the way she ended up, too. Um, she ended up passing away uh, penniless and childless, which really stinks. Because she really fought, um, she fought this big commercialization. And she actually uh, spent a lot of time and a lot of money battling. At one point, uh, it was Eleanor Roosevelt um, and a bunch of people in Washington after they made this uh, holiday she really wanted to push you know don't commercialize this you know don't commercialize it and I mean that's a tough battle to win as soon as the government says hey this is a day every store and everybody's like oh money making day so it's difficult so she kept fighting it kept fighting it and so uh, it was a rough end for her but that was the original vision you know just say to appreciate mom Put the fluff away, you know, give her your attention, you know, your respect, your time, and just like say what's on your heart and what's on your mind. So uh, I wanted to just capitalize on some of that and utilize some of that stuff. Um, Here's the get the juices flowing for this morning. So here's where we're headed. So like where do we take Anna Jarvis, Mother's Day, and how do we talk about some of this stuff? We'll take a break from Matthew. Um, here's the question we asked each other. What is a favorite meal your mom made? Right? Just to like think and reflect back. When was the last time you wrote a letter? I know that when I was, uh, you know, writing a letter this morning, I was like, man, you know, the only time I actually write a letter is on Mother's Day when we do the letter thing. <laughs> I don't really write a letter, you know, any other time. It's they're all emails, they're text messages, you know, I just, I don't know, I don't really write letters. But maybe you do, I don't know. Um, so, you know, it's nice when like you're typing and you're doing stuff. I had way too many like scratch offs. It's like ah, you know, there's no delete. You can't go back, you know, and fix it. And so whatever. Um, so when was the last time I wrote a letter? And then the bonus, who is Samuel? Because we're going to talk about Samuel today because his mom was an amazing woman, amazing woman. In fact, uh, you know, at, at work uh, this week. Um, one of the uh, Catholic deacons, you know, we, we talk a lot about the Bible and uh, ministry and, and Jesus. And um, he gets a chance to, you know, talk at, at a lot of churches. They're like kind of on a rotation the way it works for them. And uh, he goes, uh, you know, so what are you going to talk about, you know, this week on Mother's Day? He's like, you know, I think I'm going to go with, uh, with Hannah and Samuel. 
And he's like, oh, it's a great story. He's like, yeah, so it covers everything. It's, it's a mom who has hardship, difficulty, gets blessed, but she's just like in the... It's just not this rosy story where it's just, uh, just easy going. It's real life, you know, it's practical. Um, and there's a lot we could actually learn from her, whether we're a mom, you know, or not, or you know, male or female. Um, this woman had a rough go at it. She had a rough go. And she just looked to God the whole time, the best that she could. And, and, and part of the story, you're like, man, why is God letting this happen? So we're going to look at some of the, uh, her story and, and see what happens. So 1 Samuel chapter 1. The title of the message is A Soul Poured Out. Because honestly, this is like a picture um, of what we're going to read about Hannah. Like, this is the way she lived. This is what happened. She was just pouring herself out because she was in a rough place. And if you're a mom, uh, you know that, man, your mom just pour out, you know, everything for you. Everything. So let's take a look. 1 Samuel chapter 1. And um, in your bulletins... Uh, we have uh, a couple of things there, uh, a bunch of D's on there, just to help out. Because I know sometimes if you go through a whole chapter, sometimes it's hard to focus and like stay tuned in and the mind wanders and it goes places. So sometimes, if there is maybe some alliteration or some way we can grab a hold of the turning points and transitions, that's helpful. And so that's why I put... Um, Underneath the sermon notes, you have, I think, six Ds. And you have little Vs next to there. So um, we'll keep track of the transitions and what's going on. So here's the first part. We're going to look in verse 1. It says, a difficult start. Let's take a look. It says, there was a certain man from Ramatham, a Zophite, from the hill country of Ephraim. That's all very important. I'm just kidding. It's really not. Um, that's not that important at all. But here's the part that is important. So there is this man. So here's the part that's important. His name was Elkanah. Everybody say Elkanah. Elkanah. Right? He was the son of this guy and that guy and that guy. And then in verse 2, he had two wives. That's a problem. One was called Hannah. Everybody say Hannah. And then the other, Penina. Everybody say Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. The table is set for difficulty. So, that's why our first D we have here is a difficult start. You could see the difficulty right now. Number one, two wives. What is that about? And then, number two, one is barren, one is not. There's a lot of women that can relate to being barren. But I don't know how many women can relate to also being married and having the other wife having all the kids. Very difficult. So, is the Bible like condoning polygamy? You know, is that like a good thing? Should we strive for that? Um, I guess if you just read it right there, it kind of looks like it. And in our day and age right now, we're uh, marriage, big discussion, a lot going on. If you're on like Twitter or Facebook and you see, you know, these red signs, you know, with the equal sign and... Um, you know, what's the deal with marriage? Is it outdated? You know, what do we think? And we're going to talk a lot about marriage in a couple of weeks because in Matthew, Jesus is going to be talking to the Pharisees and all the people there uh, about marriage. So we're going to get in, you know, heavy duty and get to all of the hard and difficult questions around that. Um, so I'm sort of like, uh, you know, nervous about that. Um, but hey, like, we got to say, you know, what's in there. We got to talk about everything. We can't avoid the hard questions. Can't do that. 
Got to talk about everything. But we can at least look at it a little bit right now, just scratch the surface. Um, polygamy is definitely not endorsed here. That's not what we're saying. Um, this is more like it's getting reported this way. It's like if we report the Boston bombing, right? The marathon that just happened. You know, if you're watching CNN or Fox News or ABC News or whatever. You know, when they report it, it's not like they're endorsing it and saying, hey, this was a good thing that happened. It's just they're reporting the events that occurred. And so who wrote 1 Samuel, which that's kind of up for debate. I know it says Samuel there. Um, but like there's another book of Samuel and some things that happened in there happened when he wasn't alive. So unless like he came back and penned some stuff and then like, you know, went back, I don't know. So that's why it's kind of up for debate as far as who exactly wrote it. But um, it's, uh, polygamy is not being endorsed. It's just being reported, right? It's just being reported that way. And um, that was never really God's intent. And so we have the two wives. We have Hannah and we have Penina. And again, Penina had children. Hannah had none. So maybe, you know, Penina will like be, you know, mature and helpful towards the other wife. And maybe not give her a hard time and maybe be supportive. Uh, fat chance on that. That's actually not going to happen. So let's take a look. It says, verse 3. Year after year... This man, Elkanah, went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests before the Lord. So a couple things going on. At least this guy, Elkanah, right, was a God-fearing guy. And right away, like a lot of women can't even relate to that. A lot of women can't say, man, you know, I got a husband who fears the Lord, you know, who, you know, wants to make him, you know, the center of his life. So already, you know, it's, a lot of women are, you know, in that position. So it's kind of nice, you know, that at least, you know, she has that. At least they have a place to go and worship. It's been a routine in their family. And it says that they would go up and they would worship and they would sacrifice. And those two words always go together when we're coming and praising God. Like worship and sacrifice are always intertwined. It's just the way it works. When we worship God, there's some sacrifice that has to be made because the cross is there. It always works out that way. And so it says, they go up to Shiloh, which is kind of like going up to church, their temple. And these two guys are there, Hophni and Phinehas. And so these guys are just two sons of the priests that are there. So they go up to this temple place. They go up there and worship there. And this guy that sort of runs it, the pastor, I guess we could say, is Eli. And he's got these two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And these, actually, these two sons are bad news. You find out later on in Samuel, they make a lot of mistakes. They're like, it'd be like me, you know, dipping into like the tithe box and like throwing the money into my pockets and, you know, charging extravagant trips and doing all that kinds of stuff. That's what these guys were like. So, it was kind of like any other church, you know. It kind of has their issues and its problems. And it says in verse 4, Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. So what's happened is they would go there, right? So they would go there to worship. So the way it worked is they would go there 
and they would make sacrifices. Like, this is the way the old system was. Like, they couldn't just come to church, you know, and do some worship or, you know, click on a worship song um, or, you know, get on their instruments and do that and um, kind of have church the way we do. They actually have to come, have a, like, bloody sacrifice, whether it be pigeons or bulls or rams and to atone for their sin because sin is serious business. And then what some of the meat would be left over and then the priest would like give some of the meat you know, to the family and they could actually you know, eat some of that. We don't have to do that anymore because Jesus paid the price. His blood was perfect and it says in Hebrews that we never have to go through that sacrificial type system ever again. Never has to be done. And so uh, it's good news for us. And so what happened is uh, he would give her double meat. He would give her, because he didn't know what to do. You know, he's a guy who didn't know what to do. And back then, if you're a woman and didn't have kids, it's almost like, God cursed me. That's the way they looked at it. Like, you have, you know, been cursed by God. For whatever reason. So that's just like, you know, mentally killing you right there. And then um, we're going to find out um, that somebody else isn't helping either. And, and so you've got to figure, you know, the husband's trying... You know, what we do as guys, like, we try and fix things. I mean, that's just kind of, you know, what guys do. And so when Julie's having a rough day or a difficult day, and she just wants, you know, a listening ear, it's very easy and super tempting, you know, for me to, like, jump on in with a quick, like, fix suggestion here and there. And she's like, shut up. Like, I don't want the quick fix right now. I just want you to listen to me right now. And, that's difficult. You know, it's difficult for God. And so he's like trying to help out. And the best thing he can think of to do is like, well, I'll just give her, you know, more meat. <laughs> you know, I don't know what else to do. I'll give her like the double Big Mac. You know, I, I, I don't know. You know, I don't know what to do. He's trying to do the best that he can. And then uh, we keep con- continuing going here. It says, Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? So this is the devastating dilemma we just read, verses 3 through 8. The devastating dilemma. So the dilemma was, right, she's barren, she has no kids, and her husband says, hey, listen, um, you know, why are you upset? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? And we're going to find out that she doesn't respond, and she's like, well, actually, yes. Or, you know, she doesn't, like, even respond to that really at all and come back with maybe like, well, you're better than five sons, you know, or better than four sons. Like, she totally disregards uh, the question there. And so in verse 9, we'll pick up with what happens there. It says, Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. It says, Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. She made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. And so now we move into our next D here. Our next D, a prayerful dedication. She has no idea really what to do. And she's crying and super upset at this point. And, you know, her rival, Penina, has just been irritating her and giving her a hard time about the fact that she can't have any kids. And so you've got to think, man, why would God do this? Why would God do this? 
you know, to this woman? Why would he allow it to happen? This is a faithful family that's, you know, been heading to church or to temple and been giving their sacrifices. And God sees this cohort, this kind of uh, woman who is not being helpful at all, probing and instigating and giving this woman a hard time. You know, why would God allow that? Why would he do that? We're going to answer that question when we get to the end here. And so she's so upset and so distraught. She weeps much and prays to the Lord and she makes this vow and she says, Lord, if you do give me a son, I'll give him right back to you. And he's going to be what's called like a Nazarite. A Nazarite vow, meaning they would not cut their hair. They wouldn't shave. So you remember Samson and Delilah, right? And so he was a Nazarite and so he couldn't cut his hair. He couldn't uh, be around any grapes or have any wine or anything. And he said, I'll just give um, my son over to you. And we pick up um, verse 12 and it says, As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk, real nice, and said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. And so this really thoughtful, you know, Eli, you know, not really, you know, looking to help out and say, what's the matter? He's just thinking she's drunk because she's in there and she's praying, pouring her heart out to God. Totally a mess. And she's just, you know, with her mouth. But she's just like saying the words, you know, in her heart. And so people say, you know, what's the right posture in prayer? Should we be standing up? You know, should you be kneeling down? Should you be on your face? I guess the posture of prayer is really whatever's needed in the moment. So if God like wants you, you know, to call, you know, to stand up and raise your hands up and pray, then if you feel that, then you should. If you have the urge, you know, to get on your knees for whatever reason, then you should. But it's more important the heart's posture during prayer. Like that's what really matters. And so for her in this moment, she wasn't even actually saying the words. She's just saying them in her heart. And God heard it. And the, you know, the head priest is like, man, you've got to stop drinking. You know? So she's getting a hard time for that. So this lady's getting bombarded you know, kind of from all around. And I think most mothers know what you know, getting bombarded looks like. I can't, there's so many single moms, and I was reading some percentages this week. You know, it's something, uh, I think around the 40% range as far as how many households you know, raising kids with the, you know, single moms. And, it's just, and I was talking to a pastor a couple weeks ago, and got into a conversation he's like man he's like you know single moms are my heroes single mom they just so much so much have to endure and go through and look out for those kids um did anybody know about dr ben carson dr ben carson so um not too long ago this guy dr ben carson he's um a brain surgeon pediatric brain surgeon this guy and he did um a, a breakfast uh, a prayer breakfast in the Capitol. He's actually invited uh, by uh, President uh, Obama and some people in his cabinet. And so uh, Dr. Ben Carson been practicing medicine for a long time. And he gets up and he lays down this prayer and this speech um, as far as our nation and about God and how we need to turn back to Him and how it's such like a PC, politically correct society and about how like that wasn't the intent of the the founders of this country. We should be able to share our minds without being labeled, you know, intolerant or bigoted. Just, you know, share it. And hopefully, you know, people are sharing it in the right tone, you know, in the right way. 
And so he just like lays down just this amazing talk. It's like, man. And at times, um, you know, the camera's flashing. You know, President Obama, because it's like, oh my gosh, he just said that. Oh my gosh, he just said that. And Obama's kind of got this grin on. And I'm sure inside he's like, this guy, why did we invite him? You know? But, um, but this guy and his brother raised in a single mom household. Projects in Chicago. Um, she had to work three jobs. Three jobs to make it. She was hardly ever home. And uh, what she would do is she would tell her boys, hey, listen, um, there's a book report due every week. The TV's going to be off. and you, A book report's due every week. Go to the library, any book you want, read whatever you want. I want a book report every week. And the way he tells the story, he's like, you know, we would get those books, we'd write that book report, and we didn't know our mom couldn't read. The mom dropped out in junior high you know so they had no idea so here they are reading these books and putting together these reports working hard for her kids and uh, Dr. Ben Carson now a brain surgeon he wasn't even one of the best in his class but when his mom turned around and said hey listen um, I want these book reports I want you to read I don't want you filling your head you know with this nonsense his grades just changed. He started to get confidence in learning. He started to get uh, more confident about himself in class because he was never really that strong of a student. And uh, where he's at now is amazing. And now he's even considering running for president. He probably won't, but at least he's like in the conversation. And talk. It's incredible. Amazing. Because mom, you know, doing what she could. And a rock-solid part of her life was church and God. And if you ever read his book, he's got a couple books out. You know, the way he talks about his life and the way his mom was an integral part is amazing. It's amazing. So back to our story here. Eli, accusing her of being drunk. So in verse 14, we hit our next D. In verse 14, after our prayerful dedication, we get our next one here. Where we get, uh, she's deeply drained. She replies, I am a woman who is deeply troubled. So that's the title of our message, right? Being poured out. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And so this woman, I don't know about you and how it works with you. When you are, look at these words, deeply troubled, pouring out your soul, great anguish, great grief, I think many women, many men, many people would at least be drinking some wine or at least be drinking some beer just to try and help to numb it down a little bit. And this woman is at that place. I don't know when, the, like the last time you're at a place where you were just desperate for God to show up. Maybe you've never been in that place. I don't know. But that time will come for sure. And hopefully we could be guilty of in that moment being like this woman here of just crying out. Knowing she's going to go back to Panada is going to give her a hard time. Knowing she's been worshiping God the whole time but then just coming to God and just pouring herself out. This girl is courageous. This is a courageous woman. It's not going to hold her back. So Eli answers, 
Go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked Him. And in verse 18, she said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Or in some versions, she was no longer sad. It says, Early the next morning, they arose, worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home in Ramah. Elkanah lay with his, Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. And in your Bible, it probably has a little subscript there, a little C or something. And if you go back down at the bottom of your page, or maybe in the margin somewhere, it says Samuel sounds like the Hebrew word for heard of God. And so she names him, basically, his name indicates, man, God heard me. And that's like the name she gives her son, you know, Samuel. So that's our next D there, divine provision. God actually comes through and provides in that way. Which is, is amazing because at this time, Israel, this nation, was a mess. It was a mess. This was like during the book of Judges. I don't know if you've ever read it, but the book of Judges, the phrase that sticks out, it says that in that time, everyone did as they saw fit in their own eyes. That's just what happened. Everybody just did what they wanted to. Whatever they thought was okay for them, that's just what they did. Kind of similar to our day, actually. People just kind of do whatever they want to do. Really no... Uh, place for like a God and sort of an absolute truth and you know morality. So that's the time that Samuel was born in. So that's why Elkanah, you know, is having two wives where you know God didn't intend for that, you know, but he's got it. A lot of other people had it. The nation as a whole was just in a bad place. And so now Samuel actually, when he grows up, he's going to be the last quote unquote judge. That's how the book of Judges will close out. He'll be the last judge, the last leader. And what he does, he doesn't really lead armies to like conquer everybody around them. Samuel will grow up and spiritually bring this nation back to a place where they focus on God. Starting from Hannah. Starting from Hannah. Samuel, arguably one of the greatest prophets in the Bible, where some passages that are used in here were actually also said about Jesus in the New Testament. Coming from a mom who was desperate, broken, anguish, ah, in a tough spot. Who knows what God is doing? Who knows what He's doing? So in verse 21, it says, When the man... Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow. Hannah didn't go. She said to her husband, After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. So this is interesting. So now she's like, God has blessed her with a child. They're going to go up to worship. She now has his child. And she says, no, 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 you know, we're not going to go quite yet. I'm going to wait till he's weaned. In other words, he's just a little guy. Like, he can't handle going to do the worship thing. You know, i got to feed him. i got to take care of him. Like, it's a long trip. They can't get in the car, in the minivan with the car seats and the diaper bag and the food bag. It just doesn't work, right? And cloth diapering back then was, you know, probably a disaster. So, um, like, it's not going to work. you got to think, if she's at home just loving up her little kid, it's got to kind of be, maybe, in the back of her mind. Man, this is awesome. 
Maybe I'll wean him for like 18 years. Right? You got to think. Like I did say I would give him over to God, but I didn't say when. You know? Sometimes we try and make deals and barter with God like that. Because we're in that place and we're desperate. You know, we pray these desperate prayers. And then if God were to actually come through and deliver and answer, which a lot of times He wants to and He probably will, then we're put in a position of, wow, am I going to hold up my end of the bargain now? Says something about her character and the type of woman she is. If she follows through. So let's see if she does. So in verse 23, do what seems best to you, Elkanah, her husband, says to her. She says, stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Verse 24, after he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, right, their sacrifice, uh, some flour, some wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And they bring in the wine and the flour for the sacrifice. When they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. And she said to him, As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. And that's our last D. Devoted obedience. Right up to the very end, Hannah was devotedly obedient to what God had for her. And, you know, you try and picture the goodbye scenario in your head. That's what you want to do when you read the Bible and you read these stories. You want to try and place yourself in it. Put yourself in the sandals of these people, right? You want to try to do that. And so that goodbye, you know, she says, man, you know, I'm giving you over to the Lord. And it must have been bittersweet, you know, heart-wrenching and difficult. You know, you can drop a kid off at college or maybe to school on the first day. You know, that's tough, but like, here, here you go. He's not going to be living with me anymore. He's going to be staying with Eli and his messed up kids, you know, in this place. But I, I got to be, you know, faithful to what I said and what I committed to. And she gives him over. And in chapter 2, this woman, who in that day, women, weren't even really educated. They weren't able to read or to write. She composes, you can read later on this week, Hannah's prayer, where she writes down this prayer of just thanksgiving and rejoicing. It's amazing. She's just like super pumped about God. So when God comes through for us in those situations... You're just like on that spiritual mountaintop. That's where she was. And she just lays down this prayer that's like, man, you could just sense and feel where she's coming from. So three questions to close out here. Why does worship and sacrifice go together? Because the cross is involved there. Worship and sacrifice goes together. So it sounds weird to us for them to go up there, you know, really, and sacrifice. But it's got to go together because the cross... It sounds weird to us because Jesus already did it for us. For those of us that, you know, believe and we're Christians and we accept what Christ did, sacrifice has already been played, been paid. And so what we have to do is we have to be living sacrifices. That's what we got to do. So it's been said that the problem with the living sacrifice is that they could crawl off the altar. 
right? You get that, right? The living one could like crawl off the altar. They don't have to stay there, right? A sacrifice gets pinned down, tied down, you know, if they're an animal and they're sacrificed. Where like in our case, we can sort of like crawl away or maybe get away from the difficult issues in life and maybe not have to go through that. And so we really shouldn't be surprised when we come and worship God that somehow, you know, life might be difficult or cost us something or cost us some part of us. So worship and sacrifice have to go together. They did back then. Here's the big question, the second one. Why would God allow Hannah to be irritated year after year? That's the big question. And that's the one we really want to think about and look at and say, man, you know, I not, you know, might be a mom, might not be a mom, or mom might not be around. And... But this question you can't ignore, you can't get away from. You know, the reason why God would allow Penina to just continue to sort of irritate her and provoke her and let her go through that is because God was trying to get Hannah in line and prepared for what he was going to do. He was trying to get her in line and prepared for what he was going to bring about. So Hannah's praying there. God, you know, bless me with the son. You know, please bless me with the son. Please provide. You know, this woman is driving me crazy. I feel horrible. I don't know why he cursed me in the first place. You know, we know anything about, you know, really her background and where she comes from, her family. Maybe it was a great family. Maybe they did all they could and they did things the right way. God on the other end is saying, man, not only do I want to bless you with this son, I'm so far beyond that right now. I want to provide your son to lead this entire nation back to a place where God is at the center. See, she's like just praying for the son. Because that's just all that she sees in front of her. Just that need and, and what's causing her that heartache. And God is like, no, 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 no. I got you like way over here. I'm building you for this part. Like, I'm getting you ready for your son to re- lead the nation. And you're going to play a role in that. And so it may have looked like, you know, God's delay was a no. Or maybe he was ignoring. Well, no, no. He was hearing the whole time. The whole time. And he hears us the whole time. And a delay does not necessarily mean no. It means that I'm forming the foundation. I'm getting it ready. And he can guarantee and he can trust that what I'm preparing to do is going to be more than what you're praying for. But that takes faith, right? That takes faith to believe that and to act on that. And that's where we got to like come together and ask God for faith and like build each other up. So why would God seemingly be absent and not helping her out? He's letting her grow. He's letting her get in line. Letting that desperation come. It's not a bad thing to get to that place in life where all we can do is just cry out and pour our soul out in anguish and in grief because then the prayers are real. There's no BS anymore. It's not like nice phrases and nice words. It's like on the knees, hands up, God, I need you. Do something. Show up. What are you doing? Those are the prayers that are real. Right? And I get emotional because like I can remember. Those places are not that like far away from me where it's like those prayers are real. And like that's the ones that he's looking for. You know? I can hardly see that. 
But like, that's the ones that he's looking for because that's the real deal. So now we like cut through all the nonsense, all the fluff, all the selfish desires, and now God's got my attention. He's like, okay, now we can go somewhere with you. Now, Jared, like you're finally paying attention. I have your full attention now. You're not distracted. Let's go somewhere with this. So pouring out our soul, man, you know, it, it sucks and it hurts. And it could even cause us doubt and frustration to the point where maybe it's like, man, I don't even think God even cares. Or where is He? Or maybe the God of the Bible, you know, is just spogus. Like it doesn't, He's not doing that in my life right now. And I don't see it. And everybody else around me telling me His God is full of it too. It's very easy to buy into that stuff. It's very easy. But hopefully we can have this kind of courage, you know, and come down. And that was the last question. What is one critical principle we can all learn from Hannah's courage? What's the principle? And I think it'll come up here. Trials are intended to make us run to God, not run from Him. Trials are intended to make us run to God and not run from Him. That's the idea. Like, that's where the courage part comes into play. So it all, like, caves in on us. And for this mom, it happened to cave in on her. And for many moms, it's cut, it's caves in. And honestly, in life, it's not like, you know, when the storms are going to come. It's not if the storms are going to come. It's when. When are the storms going to Because they will. They definitely will. And hopefully, 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 it is my prayer that we could be guilty of just running to them right away and just pouring ourselves out. And being accused, you know, that we're drunk or out of our minds, like to even still be considering God in the process. I hope, I hope, that is my prayer. And the reason why he wants to do that is because God uses our inabilities as a platform for his abilities. That's what he does. He's the expert at doing that, of taking, and he actually takes joy in it, says the Bible. He takes joy of taking our inabilities, like Jared's shortcomings, all like the areas where Jared is just like, you know funky and messed up and just not enough inadequate and he loves to have that all of it surrendered and then taking it and molding it into something amazing and unbelievable the question is would I actually let him do that and hopefully on most days I could be guilty of a yes then a no so Hannah this woman was not going to be distracted or deterred by her circumstances It's a solid Christian mom, right? And I think that for all of us, no matter who we are, we don't want to strive to that. She lays a great example for us. And it says that, you know, after she made that prayer, she left. She was no longer downcast and she was no longer sad. It's not like she knew she was pregnant then. She didn't know that. It was after that she laid with her husband, right? I can't say had sex in the Bible. So she laid with her husband and then got pregnant after that. So it's like after she poured out her heart and gave God everything, there was something that happened, some kind of peace that came, some sort of understanding. Okay, I'm okay now. I'm okay. And that's that peace that surpasses understanding type thing that you hear in the Bible. It happened to her because then she was able to pour it out. So Hannah, I think we got a lot to learn from him, and it's totally worth you know looking at Hannah, um, you know, and, and this entire situation. So I hope it has encourages you. Um, and looking at these transitions, you know, the difficult start, the devastating dilemma, 
the prayerful dedication, the deeply drained, the divine provision, and the devoted obedience. There's a lot of D's. I had to work hard for that, you know. Um, well, most of them work. Most of them work. So what we're going to do, we're going to close in prayer. We're going to close with that last song, um, that Matt Redman song, The 10,000 Reasons. And hopefully you could take time now. You know, I don't know, you know, what's on your mind or maybe what stresses you out. Um, you know, what's going on? But right now would be a great time to like just pour it out to God and just see what He does with it. Just pour it out, whatever it is. Or maybe you know a mom or another family or somebody else you know, that just needs to be uplifted and encouraged by God in some way. Pour that out to them now. Because it says in the Bible that we can also step in the gap as Christians. We can step in the gap as intercessors and just pray and just like release blessing or release something over them that will help them. So let's do that during this song too. So you might be singing along, you might not be. And if you're not, hopefully you're praying. So uh, we'll, we'll uh, play that song and then uh, we'll comment and pray together after. Time has come
Uh, let's stand and we can uh, close in prayer. <clears throat> so Lord, we just ask God for uh, a blessing on all the moms and all the women here who have acted as moms, Lord. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would just bless them tenfold, Father. For their nurture, uh, for their love, for their care, for their efforts, for their sacrifice. I ask that you would just bless them. I ask today that they would feel appreciated. And Father, for those of us maybe uh, with you know moms that have passed, we want to thank you uh, for the time that we've had with them. And, and if the topic of mom is uh, painful and has some regrets around it, pray, Father, that we could... Uh, Bring those burdens and those regrets and lay them before your feet, Lord, and ask you for healing. And so, Lord, I just pray that all of us could just learn from Hannah and take away some of that courage. To not have our faith be dictated by our circumstances, but rather by the cross. And so, Lord, we just ask, Lord, uh, just for that courage. And, you know, for most of us, we need the help and the strength of other Christians, brothers and sisters. We need that community to help uh, give us the strength and encouragement and to give us perspective. And so hopefully we'd have enough courage to faithfully reach out uh, to them and ask for it. So, God, we just ask for a special blessing among the mom and the women this morning. May watch their families. Pray that they would just uh, get refreshed, get rejuvenated, and that they would uh, have a special week uh, this week coming up. So God, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you'd like to stay after for prayer, uh, please do. Otherwise, of course, we've got food downstairs.